Hey, everybody, welcome. This is a tough message, and I'll tell you why. I love it. I absolutely love it. But it's personal. I mean, it's, it's personal, and, and, and it, it says some things that are intimidating to me in a way, you know. And, um, but I, I, I think we need to, to hear the whole Word of God, of course. And so I can't duck and hide. I, I thought about having someone else give this message, but no, that's not the right way of doing this. It, we ought to, you know, just, I ought to just go through the messages as they come. But I want you to know this one's just a little intimidating. But let me remind you, I've been telling us over and over again that, that all of these character traits, everything about this is all about each one of us. I mean, just because God has given somebody a, a spiritual gift to be a senior pastor doesn't make that person any better than the, the person that he gives a spiritual gift of, of helps or, or, or teaching the children or, or music. It, it, it doesn't really... It doesn't matter. In other words, they're not going to go to heaven and say, hey, 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 let me get up in line here. I've seen your pastor here. You know, that ain't going to fly. It, it, we're all in this together. And as we've been teaching through First Timothy, I've been telling to you, saying to you that the character traits of a pastor, the character traits of an elder, the character traits of a, a deacon and a deaconess should, should be a part of all of us. All of us should strive to find these character traits, to live in this fashion. For goodness sakes, the Bible tells me and you that we are to conform ourselves into the image of Jesus Christ. And so if we're to live like that, I mean, the character traits of an elder and a pastor and a deacon, a deaconess, that should be a part of all of our lives. And so as we take a look at this today, I want you to know it's not just for a pastor or teacher, an elder. It's for really all of us. With that in mind, would you please read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Read with me verses 17 through 21. Tremendous, tremendous words. Remember now, Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus, which was really going astray. There was some problems in the church. Paul had to come back and help Timothy. In fact, he had to come back, Paul did, and ask two of the members to leave just to leave the church because they were causing problems. With that in mind, we've got a church here that's, that's, that's dysfunctional in, in Ephesus, and, and Timothy is the pastor, and Timothy is younger, and he has people that are teaching false doctrine and people who are causing havoc within the church. And so Paul is writing all of this to instruct you and me, everybody really who has a church, to to put your church into order, to bring it to a place where we, where we all function well as a family. And so this is where Paul is kind of leaning this message to. And so he tells the people, verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Therefore, Paul writes in verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who, here's the key, continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. 
Paul writes in verse 21, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. In other words, there are no good old boy type of uh, attitude or atmosphere within the family of God. We are to, to judge each other rightly. We are to judge each other uh, because of the fear of our Lord, the fear of our Savior, and of His chosen angels. So we are not to, to do this in, in such a way that we would be biased or partial towards anyone. If, if I'm in sin, I need to be, I need to be uh, confronted with that sin. And if I don't stop, in other words, if I continue in sin... I ought to be rebuked in front of all of us so that, that we would be fearful of sinning. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy and the church. But it's a little more than that. In fact, it's a, a lot more than that. And let me explain it to you. And I think you're going to fall in love with this place in Scripture. Let's first pray. You know I love you so much, by the way. Do you? Oh, thanks. I really do. I, I think about you. I, I, I just am honored to be a part of this church. I, I got a couple of emails um, this week after Friday. Uh, Manny Pedrosa. I don't know if Manny's here if, in, in this service or, or not. Are you? Yeah. And, and he sent me the most, all of us, I guess, the most wonderful email. I hope I'm not embarrassing you too much by pointing this out. But I got an email from Neil. I got an email from a couple other people that, uh, that made mention of what Friday night meant and what church means and, and how we are family and how we lift each other up. I love you folks more than I can put into words. More than I can put into words. Father, what a joy it is to to sense a, a, just a love for one another, just a love for one another, Father. I pray for um, for Raul, Pastor Raul's um, mother-in-law, that she's well. I pray for Manny's mom. Watch over her, Father. I pray. I thank you for those that were touched by uh, about Men's Night Out and and for how what a wonderful job Jeff did and. And how he was quick to tell me, Lisa, Lisa, yeah, I get it. I know, Father. I get what a great wife uh, can do in ministry. And so, Father, I want to thank you for Pastor Fred and how he is just so wonderfully, um, has the ability to delegate and, and, and to delegate to, to young men whom he trusts and to watch them flourish. Lord, there's, there's so much good here in this church. So many wonderful people. I, I truly do love the people of this church. And, and I, I pray your blessings upon us all, Father, that we would be a people that, that love you so much, that we'd be so appreciative of who you are and, and, and understand the privilege that we have as believers in Jesus Christ to represent you here on this earth for this time. Dear Father, would you please bless us would you hide the one that gives the message? The, the one who gives the message is relevant, irrelevant, Father. It, it, it really doesn't matter who 
what matters is do we preach your words and do we with all of our hearts try to follow after your truth may we do that here always father always until you come and father as pastor Raul reminded us last Friday he really believes you're coming soon um, he told us to be careful to watch Israel and see what is happening there and so, Lord, whenever it is that you choose to come, may you find us faithfully serving you. I pray these things, Father, in the precious name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom you, you sent to this earth to live and ultimately to die and to raise again from the dead so that we might have the privilege of coming to your throne room as we do right now and and allow you to hear our requests and know that you hear them not because of our merit, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your Son. It's in his name we thank you. Amen. During our Lord's life on this earth, he established one organization. That was the church. And in establishing the church, it was the only institution that our Lord established where He specifically promised that He would bless us and that He would protect us. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, you need not turn there, Jesus was talking to Peter, and He said, Peter, upon this rock, meaning upon Himself, upon this rock, He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He blesses and promises to protect us. You see, the church, what we have here, the body of believers, it was designed by the Father, God the Father in eternity past. It was redeemed by God the Son when He went to the cross, and it is now protected by the power of God the Holy Spirit. The age that you and I now live in is called the church age. We are living in a very, a very amazing time in history. Who knows? The Lord certainly might be coming back soon. What a time to be alive. And so the church has called to be something, you and I. We have called to become the channel through which God's truth was to flow into the world that's our responsibility. That's why we ought not, no church ought to waver from teaching the Word of God. I was really interested when, when Pastor Raul was here. He taught in, in was it First Thessalonians or was it Second? Uh, right now, I didn't have my own Bible, so it was in Second Thessalonians. And he, he taught in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, didn't he? Yeah, Chris. And, 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 then, and I was really pleased to see him. He went line after line, verse after verse, and explained why he believed the Lord was coming back soon. It was, it was amazing. It was just a fabulous time. And so we, the church, are, are to be God's truth in this world in which we live. You see, we have temporarily replaced Israel because of their apostasy. You can read about their apostasy in Romans chapter 11, the whole chapter. But let me read to you one verse that Paul quotes out of Romans 11. Paul says, I say then, they, talking about Israel, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? He says, may it never be. 
They didn't fall completely out of the picture. He says, but now listen, he says, but by their transgressions, Israel's transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Therefore, you and me, the church, we are to maintain a purity and a power that can penetrate into the kingdom of darkness in this age in which we now live. We are to we are to share to the world God's glorious light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word is to rule in the church in which, at least, at least in our church, it is to rule. We can't make it rule in other churches, but in our church it is to rule the word of God. You see, we, the church, are to be the visible form of the body of Christ. Some people that you will come in contact with, will never see the inside of a church. Just won't go. Don't want to go, will never go. They feel that we are hypocrites. And so the only picture of Jesus Christ, the only words out of the Bible that they may ever see or hear will be through your life and my life. That's intimidating, don't you think? I want to tell you something happened to me. It just was a rabbit trail last night, but it seemed to fit. I was driving home, I don't know how long ago, year, two years ago, it really doesn't matter how long ago, but I, I, was, I was kind of not thinking clearly and I went over to the other lane and I, I almost put this truck off the road. I mean, I just, I just literally ran, ran right into it. I didn't hit him, but I might as well have had. And when I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw this truck, I mean, it looked like it was right in my neck. I felt so embarrassed. I never really saw him. I, I don't know what I was thinking. And I looked at a face that was angry beyond words. And it looked like it was a big guy. Ooh, he looked big. Pretty intimidating. And he pulled up alongside of me and rolled down his window and let me know that I was the number one pastor in all of Southern California. <laughs> yeah, he, put a, he made me a hand gesture. And he not only hand gestured, but he said some things to me that were um, um, just really, they, everything was, he had the right to be angry with me. I tried to apologize and he would have nothing of it. We were driving down the freeway and so I got behind him and I was following him and I was talking to myself, yeah, you'd do this. No, you, no, don't be stupid. I, what are you, stupid? Don't, no. And I was talking, yes, going to do it. No, I'm not. No, yes, you are. No, you're not. And I was having this conversation, and surely enough, he came to a place where he had to pull off the freeway. And I followed him. And he thought, you want to fight, do you? When I got to the stoplight, I quickly said, please forgive me. Because he looked like he was ready to get out of his car and break me in two like a twig. He rolled down his window and he started yelling at me again. And I said, please, please, please forgive me. I almost caused you an accident. I don't know what I was thinking. Please forgive me. I saw in an instant a man's countenance change from deep anger to a real peace looking you know he just ah oh, he said it's all right i've done worse and i said no i i don't know that you had i almost 
caused you a terrible accident. I'm, I am so sorry. I'm a Christian. I ought to not drive like that. I just blurted out. I'm a Christian. I ought not to drive like that. I didn't go anywhere after that. I would love to say, well, he fell on his knees, accepted Christ, and we became great friends. And there he is. Say hello to no. You know, it's, it doesn't go that far. It just goes to the fact that I, I thought, in that process, this guy might not ever want to step into a church. What if he saw me? You know, like I did the funeral for Chick Hearn. It was on television. I, 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 uh, what if he saw me? What if he recognized me? What if, it, what if he thought, Jesus, hypocrites. And, and, and I put another straw on, on his back that might break him from ever wanting to step foot into a church or ever wanting to hear about Jesus Christ. I just wasn't willing to do that at that moment. I wanted to ask his forgiveness. You see, for some of us, it's intimidating. But the only picture of Jesus Christ that, that someone might ever see the only words of Jesus Christ that someone might ever hear won't be in a church. They just won't come. It'll have to be your life and my life. Therefore, the purpose of our church is to, to reveal God's glory. The purpose of you and me is to draw people to our Savior. You and I, the church, we're to model godly virtue in a very ungodly world in which we live I do want you to look at this one verse. It's, it's, we saw it, I think, last week, if not the week before. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. It's to the right. I, I want you to see it because it, 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 it's Peter summed up what I'm trying to say so beautifully. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, these words. Now, I recognize he is speaking to Israel, but he is also speaking to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ when he says we've come out of darkness into light. But watch what he says about us and watch what is the hook of what I was trying to explain that Peter says so beautifully in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are, he says, a royal priesthood. You are, he says, a holy nation. Now, I understand that's talking to Israel. You are a people for God's own possessions, so that, here, here's the hook, so that you, we, may proclaim the excellencies of him. That's the reason you live. That's the reason we live. We are to proclaim the excellencies of our Savior, who has called us out of darkness. Now he's speaking to us, the church, calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, you and I, we have been called to do what Israel did not do. But we have a problem just like Israel. Sadly, the history of the church has, has often paralleled that of Israel. The same pattern of defection from biblical truth, the same lack of obedience that marred Israel, has too often stained us, the church, as well. We need to stop it. So Paul's call here is for a restoring, a restoring of our leaders, a restoring of the church, a restoring of people who will, who will willfully follow 
the Word of God. That is exactly what the contemporary church, that is what the church today needs more than anything else. A following of obedience to the Word of God. An understanding that we have a responsibility to live in this world in which we live, to become light to a darkened world, to become salt to a a tasteless world. So in verse 17 and 18, this is intimidating because Paul begins by stating, go back please to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Paul states the value of having a good, humble, true, faithful teacher and preacher of the Word of God and how we, the congregation, are to care for him. He says in verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Because, he says in verse 18, the Scriptures tell us that you shouldn't muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the laborer, he says, is worthy of his wages. In verse 17, the words double honor translate T-I-M-E. It it refers to financial support. It refers to giving an offering as on giving unto the Lord. Paul repeats himself, just listen. You don't need to turn because I'll probably be through by the time you get there. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. He says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The writer of Hebrews says it a little more strongly. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17, he, he says this to us, the church. He says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. That's intimidating. Now that's not just for the pastor. That's for you and for me. That's for all of us that have a ministry here at the church, and all of us are to have some kind of ministry here at the church. We are all to have people who are to imitate us, to follow after our example. As George and and Irene and Drew, who were here a little while ago, said that Pastor Fred called them to kind of get involved, and they got involved, and and now they're imitating what Pastor Fred has taught them, and, and hopefully... There are others who are now imitating George and Irene. That's the way it goes. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 13 says it even a little more strongly. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? It says, Because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Have you ever thought about it in that fashion? Have you ever thought about church in that way? I'm telling you, there's times where I put my, my, my head down on the pillow at night and and, and, and it's, it's overwhelming to pray for you and to pray for your souls and, and to pray over your care and to know that one day I'm going to have to give an account to how I served my Lord at this church. It's intimidating. But you too have the same call on your life in, in your sphere of influence. Care for those who come alongside of you as as if you were to give an account for their soul. So therefore, the writer of Hebrews says in the 17th verse of Hebrews 13, therefore, let those who are, 
are leading you, do it with joy and not with grief. Because, the writer says, it would be unprofitable for us to cause them grief. As was Paul's custom, he didn't refer to money directly. As, as you note, I have up on the screen 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-11. to I don't want to go through that right now with you. I would love for you to look at it on your own. Paul was just saying the same things that we're saying right now. But let me give you the crux of it in verse 11. Paul ended up by saying, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much that we should, that we should reap material things from you? If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much that we would ask to reap material things from you? Now, I told you that's hard. I, I'm not good at, at asking for and dealing with the finances. Not, it's not, I've never, I don't do that. I don't do it. I don't like doing it. I do it when it's in Scripture, and we're going to see it in chapter 6 pretty, pretty strongly about dealing with money, and I will deal with it then. Very happily I will. But this is kind of a little bit too close to home. It's, it's talking about someone who is a pastor. In verse 17 it says, care for those who, who work hard. That, that Greek word is K-O-P-I-A-O. It means to work to the point of fatigue or exhaustion. It, it doesn't stress the amount of work that is done, but rather it stresses the effort. You know, that's just like our Lord our Lord doesn't care how grandiose your work is. He takes care of that anyways. But the Lord does care the effort that we put in what He's asked us to do. Just as He does in your life as well. Whatever your spiritual gift might be, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the amount, it's the effort. And I want you to know, folks, that and the staff here at this church, this past year and a half or so has been difficult, to say the least. It, and I've seen the staff work to a point of, of exhaustion, fatigue, making themselves sometimes ill. And so it says in verse 17, those that work hard at preaching, preaching means in the Greek is logos, L-O-G-O-S. It, it means to proclaim the truth. We do that here. We try at least. It also includes not only proclaiming the truth, but encouraging the people you speak to and, and warning them as well. And then the word teaching translates D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-I-A. It, it emphasizes the idea of instructing those you are speaking to. And so we get the idea of preaching, to encourage and to warn by proclaiming the truth. And we get the word teach means to instruct them as well. We try to do that here with all of our hearts. All of our hearts. At every level, from the youngest to the oldest of us. And so in verse 18, we are told the Old Testament law provided that, here's the example, you have an ox, and he's threshing grain. Don't muzzle him. No, no, no. If he's threshing and he's walking around and grinding this grain down, keep him not muzzled so that he can lean over and get a bite to eat when he wants. Don't stop him from eating. So Paul's point is, is clear. He's pleading how much more, he is saying, would God want you and me to, 
to care for faithful pastors who provide spiritual food to the flock. How much more are they to be provided for? Don't muzzle the ox. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, let's get away from that. That's enough of that. Let's talk about protecting and, and judging those within the church. Not only the leaders, but all of us. Verses 19, 20, and 21 are critical to a healthy church. It says in verse 19, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Verse 20, those who con- that's the, here's the key, those who continue in sin. You see, the, the point isn't that you and I will never sin. No, that, that's, that's a given. We more than like, no, we will sin. The issue is, if we are confronted with that sin, what do we do with it? Do we continue or do we repent? And do we not do it anymore? Verse 20 says, but those who continue, continue in this sin, then rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest, so that the congregation will be fearful of sinning. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, and of his chosen angels. Don't do it with bias. In other words, maintain these principles without bias and do nothing with a, spiritual, uh, with a spirit of partiality. In other words, there's no good old boy system in a church. It shouldn't happen ever. Sin is sin, and when it's seen, it should be confronted. And when it's not repented of and, it's, and it continues, then it needs to be addressed. Plain and simple. But what Paul is saying is there's always people who are going to falsely accuse God's ministers. It's, it's just what they do. They either resent his calling, they either reject the, the teaching, they, or they resist biblical authority. You finally tell them no, and they say, oh, not me. Or they resent the integrity of the, of the church. Or they're jealous of the Lord's blessings upon the other person's life. I've been through this more than I wish to mention. By the way, more than once is plenty. It's way too often. False accusations are one of Satan's most dangerous weapons. Listen, Joseph went through it. Moses, David, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Paul, many more. They all suffered from false accusations. Oh, no, yes. Didn't mention Jesus Christ either, did I? So did he. Listen, it is a sacred trust to be in ministry. I want you to know that the standing here before you is not a small thing in my mind. It never has been. It never will be. I do it with fear and with trembling. It is a sacred trust that you have given to me to be a man of God. And that sacred trust is based upon integrity, credibility, the things that we have been studying here in, in, in First Timothy. And of most importance, it is a consistency, a consistency of a purity within our lives to not let sin keep on going. If people who serve the Lord can be su- successfully attacked and become discredited, then the church becomes discredited. Therefore, it's, it's imperative for you and me to distinguish. Look, if someone comes to me and says, you know, you, you know you've done wrong, you know, I, I, I need to say, well, where's the proof? How, what's the proof on that? 
And I'm not to take that into account. I'm to distinguish between gossip and lies from reality because false accusations are a real danger to a church. And so Timothy gives, Paul gives Timothy instructions that we are to listen to. Number one, verse 19, if they're unsubstantiated, then they're to be rejected. The word receive is a long Greek word. It just simply means to consider within your mind allegations that, that, that are are not substantiated, are not to be investigated. They're to be ignored, Scripture tells us. There's just a simple act of turning a deaf ear is one of the best ways of protecting the church. But, in verse 19, Paul says, if the accusations are, are, are on the basis of witnesses, two or three or more, then they're to be taken seriously. If they prove to be false... It doesn't matter. They still, still should be investigated. The intent of having two or three witnesses is, is to provide confirmation of the accusations. It, this, this principle is found both in the New as well as the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 19 says, A single witness shall not rise up against any man. And Matthew, Matthew 18, 16 says, if you, you need to take one or two or, or more witnesses with you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact, therefore, can be confirmed. But, but the issue is, is there a continuation in sin? All of us will sin. All of us. Is there a continuation of sin? And so pastors and teachers are, are never to be at the mercy of frivolous, evil accusers. Let me tell you, the best example is, is David and Saul. To attack someone... In a position of authority is a very serious matter. Back in 1 Samuel, I, I, you just listen to the story. I, you remember that Saul was the king. David was a warrior. David killed a, a, a massive group of people, enemies of Israel. When they rode back into Jerusalem, the people were yelling and, and singing Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul was puffed up by that. And yet they sang, and David has killed his ten thousands, which angered Saul. And from that moment forward, Saul was trying to kill David. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, it came upon that while Saul was chasing down David, David happened into a cave where Saul was, and and Saul wasn't there, but his robe was. And it said that David rose and cut the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterwards, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, those around him, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, to Saul the Lord's anointed, that I, ought to, that I should stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And David never did that again. A little while later in 2 Samuel chapter 1, one of the enemies of, of Israel, an Amalekite, came and tried to, tried to win David's favor as he came into the camp of David and said that he had 
killed Saul. David said to him in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14, How is it that you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then in the next verse, David called one of his warriors and said, Cut this man down. And so they struck him and he died. David had him executed. Psalm 105, verse 15 says, Don't touch my anointed ones and do not do my prophets harm. Make no mistake about it, folks. Those who falsely accuse or try to do harm to God's servants are treading on very dangerous ground. Now, I don't want to leave us with that thought. But that's the issue. That is the issue of Scripture. We ought to be careful. But what has been taught today is far more important to me than that. What has been taught today is that you and I have been called as a group of people to be God's eyes and God's ears and God's heart and God's mouth. We are the form of Christ for people today who will never step foot in the church. And, and I grant you, I, I, if you don't think it is, I, I think it is. I think it's intimidating to try to live every second, every moment of my life as if I were to represent Christ. It's tough. I grant you it's tough. That's, that's why I chased that guy down. And, and I'm telling you, I argued with myself the whole drive. I, I, I'm glad he went off the freeway when he did because I was this close to saying, oh, forget it. He's never going to get off this freeway. And when he went off, I was scared. I honestly was scared. I'm an old man. I didn't want this guy beating me up. And that's what it looked like he wanted to do. But I didn't want him for a second to allow my sin of poor driving cause him to stay away from anything that might be good. Now, I grant you, this is a leap of whatever. I mean, he, he probably didn't know anything who I was. I mean... Who am I? But what if he did? That was what was running through my mind. What if he did? What if he recognized me? I wanted to make it right. I didn't want my life to cause him to stumble. I think we all ought to live like that. If we think more highly of one another than we do our own self, I think we've got to great start at having an, an amazing, fantastic church. You would have had to have heard Raul, but he was talking about that, that you know, he has set his life apart. He says, I, he says, I want to lift up holy hands. The church has to lift up holy hands. Wasn't that kind of what he said, Wes, when he was speaking? I remember, I think you and I talked a little bit about it. He says, I want to have holy, holy ears, he said. I want to have a holy mouth. I want to have holy eyes. I want to lift up unto the Lord holy hands. That's what the church is supposed to be about. I just want to encourage you to be that type of a man, that type of a woman. I promise you, I vow to you, I will try. I will try. I will try. I'll fall short. I'm just a human being. But I'm willing to try. I hope that you are as well. Father, I can only speak for myself at this point in time. I give this church to you. It's yours, Father. I give all of us to you, Father. We're yours. But I can't make any of the people here serve you or, or live for you. I can't. I can only tell them what you tell us. But I vow to you, Father, before these people that I will live my life for you.
Whatever days you give me, I will live my life for you. I want to be a follower of yours. I want to be a a man that hopefully has the privilege of leading people to Christ. Father, will you bless this time, bless the people here, wherever we may go. Will you take us, Father, to, to represent you the best way we know how. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Love you all so much. Have yourself a really great day. Thanks for being here.